There's a lot packed in here, and I think uh, we're going to discover some great nuggets tonight. Um, Psalm 47 is one of 10 psalms that are, are uh, or 11 psalms, excuse me, that are uh, noted as having been written either for or uh, by the sons of Korah, and um, I don't know if, if you've dug into discovering who those people are. Have you yet? No? Um, so the sons of Korah are, are um, the sons of the, one of the, the Levites who stood up against Moses. Um, it's kind of an interesting uh, story, the heritage there. Um, in fact, I'd, I'd like to invite you to turn um, to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, and we're, we're going to start there because here at the beginning of, of Psalm 47, we read that this is a psalm uh, for the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah. So it sounds as though that uh, they may have uh, written this psalm, um, and and it was this psalm is indeed a song. It is something that was meant to be sung. And uh, so, who in the world are these sons of Korah? Uh, chapter six of Exodus, we we read that. Um, here that that uh, Korah is the brother, or the let me say this, he's the cousin of Moses. If you look at at um, verse twenty one, and the sons of Ishar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. So, and who is who is the who is the father of Ishar? Um, Amram is his father. And you look in verse 20, Amram married his father's sister and she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the length of Amram's life was 137 years. And the sons of Ishar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. Uh, so we, we understand that, that Korah is a cousin of Moses. Now, um, when Moses was uh, called and, and Aaron was also called, we, we know that there was a system change in the priesthood. Up to that time, the, the, the heads of the families were considered to, to be the, uh, the, uh, the priests or the the, uh, the ones who would speak uh, for the Lord. Aaron, however, became that voice of the Lord for the people with Moses. If we look at number 16, let's turn to the right, number 16. And we see what happened here with Korah. The, Korah, again, is the, 
the uh, uh, he is the son of I'm sorry he's the son of Kohath the son of Levi um, and the uh, he comes against Moses and um, and and basically says what, who gave you the authority to do what you're doing um, you're asking and demanding this of all of us and we're not ready to just do that because because uh, that's not the way it's been and so we we discover here pretty quickly that uh, um, that's not going to be okay with God it's interesting however that in verse 4 of 16 we see that Moses response to this was that he fell on his face he didn't he didn't fight back but he fell on his face and he and uh, he uh, spoke to Korah and all his company saying tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to himself even the one whom he will choose and he will bring near to he will bring near to himself so the, Moses is not defending himself he is allowing the Lord to defend him um, in the end what we what we see here is that Korah and all of those with him were struck down the earth opened up and swallowed them it was the judgment of God now it's curious to me that out of that lineage comes a a uh, faction of the priesthood the sons of Levi who then are designated as worship leaders singers in fact and composers of great worship music for the people of God and and that is that is the uh, that is what we have here in Psalm 47 uh, the descendants of the son of Korah who did not participate in the rebellion afterwards rose to preeminence as Levitical priests Levitical servants of the Lord leading God's people in worship and that's who this psalm is attributed to so let's dig into Psalm 47 it's interesting that this uh, psalm is a psalm of warfare it is a psalm designed uh, to to be used in both both before during and also after battle it is designed to be um, that which rallies God's people uh, for warfare a song of battle and it speaks of God's triumph his triumphal reign before the battle in the battle and after the battle um, let's let's dig in verses one through four this this section of the psalm speaks of God's triumph before the battle his reign before the battle oh clap your hands all you people shout to God with a voice of joy for the Lord most high is to be feared a great king over all the earth he subdues peoples under us and nations under our feet he chooses our inheritance for us the glory of Jacob whom he loves 
Selah. Now, some of you who have been in the church for a long time may remember this old scripture song, clap your hands, all ye people shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Remember that one? Hosanna, Hosanna, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Praise him, praise him, shout to God with a voice of praise. So it comes right out of this scripture. Um, so what we have here is a call to worship. Clap your hands, all you peoples, and shout to God. It's, it's a call to worship. It, it raises the expectation that the volume of the praise is going to be loud. Okay? And it's going to be full of clapping and shouting. I don't know about you, but I think our, our tendency sometimes is to be a little bit uh, standoffish when somebody says, come on, let's clap. Let's shout to the Lord. Somebody, some of us sit back and say, are you going to tell me what to do? Are you, gonna, are you really going to do that? Is this all for show? No, it's not all for show. It's exhortation to get in and get going when it comes to the worship of the Lord. And it's a biblical thing to exhort God's people to enter into praise. Um, now, who is called? Look at it. Who is called? We're, we're, let's pretend we're in a, in a uh, small to medium-sized living room. It's just us. I'm going to ask you some questions, and you can answer. Who's called? Who is this, who is this directed to? All the people. Yeah, all peoples. Now, wait a second. All peoples? What is that? Everyone? Even the people that are not part of us? Even the people that don't know the Lord? Absolutely. It speaks of all peoples. It's evangelistic. <laughs> it's evangelistic. It's, it's drawing all peoples into praise. It's even eschatological. What in the world does that big word mean? Eschatological. Who can, say, who can tell me what that word means? Having to do with the end times. Right. Um, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. Isaiah uh, writes of the Lord speaking, Look to me. And be saved, all the ends of the earth. Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none other. By myself I have sworn. The word is, has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me until every knee will, shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Now, what does that sound like? Does it sound like a passage in the New Testament? Do you remember what that passage is? Help me think. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Where is that? Can, oh, put your thinking caps on. The Apostle Paul, right? Writing to the Philippians. Writing to the Philippians. Chapter 2. It's the tail end of that iconic passage that, that many believe is a, a hymn, a New Testament hymn. 
that speaks of Jesus who did not count equality with God something to be grasped or clutched or held on to, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, becoming obedient even to the point of death. Do you remember that? It's, it's an amazing passage of scripture speaking of the, the amazing ministry of Jesus and the condescension of Jesus in all of his godliness to become one of us, to be human so that he might pay the price for our sin, that he might be the sacrifice for our sin. And it ends, it ends with this, these words, verses 9 through 11. In fact, I, flip there if you want. Uh, keep your thumb in at Psalm 47. Go to Philippians chapter 2 and look at verse 9 with me. And, and, and highlight it if you haven't highlighted it. Because this is really, this is really, this packs a wallop. Because it speaks of the, the, the purpose of Jesus' coming. He says, Wherefore also God highly exalted him and gave to him the name which is above every name. That is the name of Je that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a, it's a reiteration of Isaiah 45, verse 22. And that is, that is the purpose of Jesus' coming, that people would submit their lives to God for God's glory. Amen? Can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah that's what it's all about. So back in Psalm 47, Clap your hands, all, you, all the peoples. He's speaking to all of creation. Shout to God with a voice of joy. Or how many of you have the word triumph there? Triumph or joy is, is there. It's, it's interesting to me that, that that word, joy or triumph, actually is uh, the literal interpretation is a ringing cry so it's a it's a it's a shout with to god with a voice of a ringing cry of joy and triumph you know what it makes me think of have you ever heard have you ever heard um i i i i think you hear it in africa i think you hear it in the u.s in the south this high-pitched that kind, of, that kind of chatter going on, it's a joyful, high-pitched, ringing cry, and it speaks, of, it speaks of triumph. Now, if we look at this, this is, a, again, a call to worship. Clap your hands, shout to God, and then look to why. Why? We're being called to worship, but why do we worship? Well, we worship for this. Number one, for who he is. For the Lord Most High. Now, what is the Lord Most High? The, the, the word Elyon is the, the Hebrew name of God here. 
and it means the supreme, the highest. He is above all. He's the one. He is the only. And again, we hear echoes of Isaiah chapter 45, where God says, for I am God and there is no other. It, it is, that, is that reiteration of God being the one and only. He is, we see it here again, also in Philippians. He is the name above all names. He is high. Number two, God is to be feared. God is to be feared. For the Lord most high is to be feared. Now, wait a second. I thought fear was a bad thing. In fact, we sang tonight, didn't we sing? Uh, uh, in one of the lyrics, I, um, that fear you don't have a hold on me anymore? What's going on here? Can fear be good? It better be. Yeah. You know what? We all have a fear. We have a, um, we have a fear response to certain things. Ladies, some of you are deathly afraid of spiders, are you not? Anybody in here got that? Not just the ladies, some of us men are too. How about snakes? Yeah. <laughs> Why do we have that? There are those who love reptiles. I say they're just shy little things, aren't they? And they're not going to hurt you. They're going to be more afraid of you than you are of them. Yeah, right. But they're also venomous. Some of them are. We had a dog uh, some years ago. Bless her heart, she's still with us. She has since become our most expensive dog ever. <laughs> because she, she took a strike of a rattlesnake right between her eyes. You can still see the scars. Two vials later, she's still with us. She swelled up, looked like a bear, you know. But the deal is this, that fear, she was fearless until she got struck. There is a healthy fear. That fear also is mixed with awe. And when it comes to the Lord Almighty, the Most High, we are awestruck with who he is. That's what that means to to. The Lord Most High is to be feared. We are to stand or to kneel or to be prostrate in awe of who he is. Because, why? Because he is all-powerful. We, we did this little exercise a little earlier with the idea that God gets to choose you as his very own. And you can celebrate the fact that you are his child, right? Right? The reason is, is because he is the great I am. He is the one who gets to do the choosing. The reason for that, beyond that, behind that, is because he's all powerful. That means he is also judge. He is able to deliver the penalty. And so if we are not fearful of God Almighty, who could snuff us out just by going. We are of all people to be pitied. If we're not afraid of that. 
if there's not a healthy fear, if that is, does not strike awe and wonder in us, the amazing thing on the flip side of that is that in that awe and wonder, wrapped up in that is the grace of God. He has the power to snuff us out and he has the power to breathe life into us. All of that is wrapped up in the fear of the Lord. Reverence, honor, respect. Isaiah chapter 6, we, we, we see that great vision that, that Isaiah had of, of the Lord uh, in his holy temple. And the seraphim flying above him, each with six wings. Do you remember that? Some they covered their, their faces. Some they covered their feet. Some they, with two wings they flew. They, and they were crying in triplicate, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Yes. And what's it say? The whole earth is full of his glory. That's what they were declaring. And the foundations of the thresholds shook and the vo at the voice of the Lord who called out and the temple was filled with smoke. God is powerful. And that's why we, that is why we have this healthy awe, this healthy fear of who he is. And he is the great king over all the earth. All the earth. He is the ruler over all the earth. That is his realm. It's, it's large. It's expansive in number it is great and deep and wide in intensity it is it is dare i say it loud god can speak in the thunder can he not and it can knock you to his to your knees he can also speak in a still small voice he is awesome in every way. Verse 3, he subdues people under us and nations under our feet. Again, he is, he is sovereign. It's interesting to me that, that uh, we, we read this word, he subdues people under us. What does that sound like? It's authority. Absolutely, it's authority. And, and that subduing is, um, it's interesting. It, it doesn't have this, it's, it doesn't have this idea. When I think of subdue, I think of, of absolute dominance my foot on somebody's neck. I have subdued them. But it's interesting here that this word in Hebrew actually uh, has to do with speaking. He subdues by speaking. It is his command. It is his promise. His command and promise go together. 
Subduing is the result of God's command, his sovereign authority backed up with his sovereign power. But it is also his promise, his faithfulness to fulfill both in blessing and in judgment. It is not something that is, that is, um, that is just one-sided. His promises are both for blessing and for judgment. This is also speaking of warning. And the word, this idea of the warning includes conversation. He subdues. It, it is a warning, but there's also conversation going on. It's God's love being expressed. Being expressed saying, hey, there's judgment coming and I love you so much. Won't you come? Won't you come? Won't you enter into relationship with me? It reminds me of Jesus who, sitting um, sitting outside of Jerusalem, weeping over the city. And what does he say? He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How I have often wanted to gather her children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Weeping. There is this, there is this authority in Christ who, who desires this relationship. I don't know. It's, it's not a distant judgment. It's an in-your-face, right-next-to-you kind of thing. I, that's a marvelous picture, in my view, of, of how, how the, the reaching of God is there even in this judgment that we sometimes think is, oh, it's so severe. How could God do that? Do you know, do you understand that he is reaching even in that? He subdues people under us and nations under our feet. Nation speaks of, of, of tribes, of peoples. Revelation 5, we have this beautiful picture of, again, in heaven. And it's kind of like what Isaiah saw. Revelation 5, verses 9 to 10, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. They will reign upon the earth. Under us is that in this text here, is the idea of, of for the sake of, under us, for the sake of us. Again, in Revelation 5, Jesus, the, the picture here is, is of, of the Lord taking the book of life who is worthy to open this book of life that is sealed with seven seals? Who is worthy to do that? And whose names are in that book? It's the, it's the book of those who are saved. The book of for whom Jesus gave his life. And here again, we see that this, 
this judgment of God is a reaching kind of thing. It draws us. It's not just a distant condemnation. There in chapter 5 of, of Revelation, we see the picture of the lamb who was slain. He is the one who gets to open the book. It's his very life that causes salvation or gives salvation. It speaks of God's authority and his favor toward his people. Verse 4, he chooses our inheritance for us. The glory of Jacob, whom he loves. He chooses our inheritance. It speaks of, yes, possession, property, heritage, our inheritance. The glory of Jacob, who he loves. Who is that? Who would that be? Who are the descendants of Jacob? Well, let me ask you this. What was Jacob's name changed to? Israel. Yeah, there you go. It's his people. It's God's people, Israel. The glory of Jacob. The inheritance refers to the promised land to them, right? For us, it speaks of heaven. It speaks of the new Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21. A glorious picture of what, it, what we have to look forward to. The inheritance of the saints. And then at the end of, of verse 4, we have Selah. It's a pause. It's an interlude. A breath. Take a breath. We've just been called to worship, by the way. And we worship who God is and what he does. That's why we worship. The reason we shout and praise. Verse 5 through 9 kind of reiterate what we see in the previous four verses. Um, we have a, a pair of paintings at home. Uh, it's called a... You've, have you ever heard of a triptych? Three paintings that are related to one another. You see them a lot of times in cathedrals up front. Well, we have a diptych. Okay. It is two paintings that are related to each other. And, and they're titled, Breathe, Love, Repeat. Breathe, Love, Repeat. Breathe, Love, Repeat. That's what's going on kind of here. We see that going on even in the scripture because as we look at verse 4, through nine, we, we see a reiteration of the first four verses. It's a different twist, however, because what we see here is a call to praise God in the battle. Previously, it was before the battle. Now we're looking at in the battle. God has ascended with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. Did I say sing praises? Yeah. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful song. psalm. God reigns over all the nations and sits on his holy throne. God is triumphant in the battle. 
He's ascend, he has ascended. That is that idea of going up, going up. And if we look at it specifically, that word is found to be associated with the idea of going up into battle. We see it in Judges chapter 1, where Judah shall go up, go up, shall go up first for against, uh, against for us against the Canaanites to fight against them. The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. It is that very same word. So the going up with a shout, the sound of the trumpet is a call to go into battle. What is the sound of the trumpet? It's the sound of the shofar, right? Have, have you heard that before? The ram's horn? It is the sound, the call to battle. Verse 6, sing praises. It's an imperative command. And um, he says it four times in this one verse. Sing praises. Sing praise. Sing praises. Oh, did I, did I say? Sing praises. Four times he says it here. And then a fifth time in the next verse. So what's the purpose of the call to worship? To encourage people to worship. To exhort them. To Hebrews chapter 10, um, the, the writer of Hebrews says, hey, it's, it's, you need to stir one another up to love and good works. And that's kind of what's, what the worship leader, the call to worship is all about. It's about stirring up praise. That word stir up there in Hebrews means to goad. So what happens if the worship leader comes off the platform and says, Sally, I want you to raise your hands to the Lord. Raise them as high as you can possibly go. That's how we praise the Lord with all our might. Now, is that, is that putting on a show? Is that trying to be something that we're not? No. It's, it's about exhorting one another to praise. So when the worship leader says, let's stand up together, what do we do? We stand up, right? Some of us refuse to. I'm sorry. I'm just talking the truth. Some of us refuse to. And my friends, the call, the exhortation is not, is, is not something that... that um, We're, do you understand that, that when we are exhorted to worship, it is, not, it is not a time for us to exercise our options. Does that make sense? We live in a, we live in a society in which myself and my choices and my little island is is all mine. And you can't tell me what to do. Even if what you're telling me to do is the right thing. You can't tell me what to do. And just so you know it, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. <laughs> and we get in this little, this little prideful stupor. I'm going to call it a stupor because it's, it's akin to being drunk and not thinking well. And that kind of pride stands in the way of our worship. 
God has ascended with a shout, with a voice, with the, the Lord, with the sound of the trumpet. Sing praises, sing praises times four, times five. For the Lord is the king of all the earth. That is, he is, he is period, the king of all the earth, underscore all. Sing praises with a skillful song. What is in the world does that mean? It means sing praises with a psalm that is put together well to encourage you, that the melody is able to be accessed, that, that it compels you, it draws you in. That's what that's about. Some of us, some of us don't know what to do with the skillfulness of either songwriting or even the leading of worship. We, we sit back and we, we wonder, is this suspect? Is this drawing attention to self? I don't think so. The truth is very often it is the skill of that writing. It's the skill of that playing. It's the skill of that leading that draws others in. And we're not to be sitting back judging, but to be entering in. And if we are, if we are so beset by, by I, this, I just don't like this. I can't take, I, this, isn't, this isn't what I like. Who's the focus? Who, who's the focus in that sentence? I. And what is worship all about? It's about him. Let's finish this up. God reigns over all the nations. God sits on his holy throne. This is the result. This is the, the after the victory, the after the battle. This is on the backside of it. The princes of the people have assembled themselves as the people of God, as the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Again, God's reign is over all things. He sits on his holy throne. What does that mean? It means that he's there established in his authority and he's resting. It's not hard for him to be God. <laughs> I think sometimes we think that, oh God, it must be hard for you to be, be thinking about us and them and all the problems in the world. And, oh, Lord, I don't want to bother you, but it's not hard for him to be God. He's resting on his throne, and his authority is established absolutely. For the shields of the earth belong to God. What in the world does that mean? It means that... Um, that which would protect us is God's business. In Ephesians chapter 5, we see the picture of the uh, armor of God, right? And um, most of it is defensive. Most of it's defensive armor. And we see a shield there. It is defensive. There's one offensive weapon, and it's the 
sword of the spirit, which we know to be the word of God, right? Now, I'd like to suggest to you that there is one more, one more offensive weapon. Andy mentioned it just before we sang the song, Raise a Hallelujah. Remember what he talked about? Second Chronicles chapter 20, the story of Jehoshaphat. Do you remember that story? And that, in that, if, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to go home and read it. Second Chronicles chapter 20. It's an amazing story about how God God called his people to enter into battle. And who went first? The promise was that the Lord was going to fight for them. So Jehoshaphat set the singers out front. And they entered into the battle. And as the scripture says that as they began to sing, the enemy turned against itself. We have another offensive weapon when it comes to doing battle, and it's praise. There is a, uh, there's a tandem or companion scripture, Psalm 97, verse 9, to this companion to this, this last statement, he is highly exalted. Chapter 97 of the Psalms, verse 9 says, For you are the Lord most high over all the earth. We've heard that before here tonight, right? For you are exalted above all gods. Do you remember this song? For thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted high above all gods. For thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. Would you stand? Would you lift your hands to the Lord as we sing? We exalt thee, we exalt thee, we exalt thee, oh Lord, we exalt thee, we exalt May the Lord find your life this week to be that which exalts him. For the scripture exhorts us as well that the sacrifice that the, desi- that the Lord desires most of all is a life that is laid down and submitted to him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. May God give you, may God give you 
the remembrance of even this call to worship. For he is highly exalted. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Mm -hmm.